0: to Central Coast Uncorked. Yes, thanks for joining us. Yes, I'm Jamie. Shanice likes us for us to introduce ourselves. I'm Jamie. I'll be one of your hosts today. I'm Shanice. I enjoy making fun of Jamie. Everybody enjoys making fun of Jamie.
1: <laughs> uh, today, Jamie said that we could be the dumb and dumber of the wine world, and I sincerely okay. agree. Oh, someone's waiting for us, so we should probably go in. Okay. But
2: See you we're, at, we're at law, so stay tuned. <laughs>
3: So, well, welcome to law. Welcome Thank back you. to law, I guess Thank I should you. say. Um, so, I'm the head winemaker um, since earlier this year, actually. So okay. I just kind of took over the position from Scott Holly, who was the head oh. winemaker and consulting winemaker. I
1: didn't realize from the like beginning. he was here until that recent because we went out to Torin Okay. And they're like, oh yeah, he like stopped you know uh-huh. consulting and like making wine uh-huh. for other people. Yeah. And I just, for whatever reason, like they're like, oh yeah, he used to be at law. And I was thinking that was like years ago. No,
3: no, that was just until I think in, at the end of February, beginning of March is when, Mm. um, he finally like just completely stepped aside Yeah, and it was just really good timing. Um, so I joined the team as um, the assistant winemaker back in 2016. So I worked 16, 17 and 18 harvests with Scott, um, kind of taking on more and more responsibility with each year and Mm -hmm. taking a little bit more weight off of his shoulders, which I think he um, definitely appreciated (laughs) and enjoyed. Um, And it was just a really good fit. Uh, My philosophy in making wine is very similar, if not close to identical, to that of Scott's. And, um, you know, we both don't like to use um, products and things on our wine. It's all wild ferments, indigenous yeast, um, and really trying to just guide the wines in the right direction and being Mm -hmm. more of a shepherd than. A chemist Um, so really trying to express the place and the beauty you know we've got these beautiful vineyards and this beautiful fruit that comes in off of these vineyards Mm -hmm. and um, it's Scott's philosophy and it is that of my own to really just allow that to express itself in the glass so I want you guys to be able to taste um, an expression of a time and a place you know that year and this place Um, and every year so You know, certainly I think that helped kind of um, guide the whole philosophy of the the property, and um, it's certainly something that brought me here um, because I enjoyed that philosophy. I enjoyed that kind of whole um, thought process of really allowing a place to express itself without, Mm -hmm. you know, influencing it too much in the winery. And um, yeah, so it was just really a, a really good fit right from the beginning. I learned a tremendous amount from Scott over the last three years, and, um, you know, he was always, he he certainly wasn't struggling, he took it, did it with ease, but I know it took a toll on him, the fact that he had torn, Mm -hmm. you know, he had all these different vineyards, whether it would be (laughs) G2, or vineyards in Bienesito, or Mm -hmm. um, all over the place, Um, you know, James Berry Vineyards, so he always had to keep an eye on all these different things that, Made up Torin, and then also keep his eye on Law. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot for him to do, and I, I'm sure that at times he felt like he was being spread a little bit. Then um, I certainly would have felt that way, and um, so it was just a really good um, timing and really good fit for earlier this year. He was like, you know what, you guys are in great hands with Phil. He knows what he's doing. He's passionate. He wants to, you know, be driving this thing. He yeah. doesn't want to be um, second stage and um, I want to be taking care of Torn, you know, he's mm-hmm. got his own winery now, his mm-hmm. own tasting room, his own property where he's going to um gross, uh put some new grapes in the ground as well. So he's got a full plate and Yeah. It was just it was it was good timing for that whole yeah. transition. So
1: Where were you before law? Then?
3: Um I was all over the place. Okay. So I spent I moved to New Zealand back in 2008. Oh wow. Um I spent nearly nine years in New Zealand so I did my masters in Enology and Viticulture in New Zealand mm-hmm. ended up staying there because um, I fell in love with the country um, uh, I worked for three years at Kimi River, worked for a couple of years at Dry River um, Pyramid Valley Vineyards, I worked two seasons in Hawke's Bay, a season in Gisborne Um, but throughout my time in New Zealand I would spend half the first half of the year in New Zealand making wine and then the second half of the year in France making wine so I spent three years at Chateau Angelus and Saint-Emilion and then I also did two seasons in Napa where I was at Haydn de Valaine in 2010 which are really incredible Chardonnays Um, that's what they're most known for I would say and then in 2015 I was at Screaming Eagle and then in 16, I went back to New Zealand one last time where I was the assistant winemaker at Pyramid Valley Vineyards, and then um, I came here. So before I even went to New Zealand, I was already speaking to um, Oliver, our general manager, and um, you know he expressed interest for me to come join the team. And um, I had already accepted my job in New Zealand, so I basically told him, sure, but I can't go anywhere until June, July. At the earliest, and um, that worked out really well because they didn't really need anybody until then. Um, and then from New Zealand, we ended up having a Skype interview, and uh, you know, with Don and Scott and everybody. And I think we just all kind of hit it off.
1: That's awesome. Over
3: the um, over Skype, over the screen, kind of, <laughs> and yeah, they offered me the position, so I came and uh, moved back to America permanently, oh. which was the first permanent home that I had in. Six years or so since I've been bouncing around the globe for a long time. Talk about busy! I
1: know
3: it was (laughs) fun, but it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it. But you know, even great things get tiring if you do them for too long. I think so. It was certainly time for me to put down some roots and find a place. Um, So, and this is this was perfect for me. So, all of
0: laws. Grapes,
3: it's, it's all estate grown, so it's actually everything that you see out this window here. So from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock are all our vineyards, oh, wow. and then obviously what you saw coming up the driveway on the left-hand yeah. side on this side of the property. So that's the north side of the property and the south side of the property here. Um, we're starting to get close to full swing. Uh, we've picked one block of Saral, 10B. It's always one that's kind of a little bit further ahead. Um, and we're going to be into more red grapes um, later this week. So we've picked most of the whites. Uh, I like to do several passes in Roussan um, because it ripens at very different levels, even amongst, in the same vine. Mm-hmm. You'll have bunches that are golden and beautiful and bunches that are neon green and you know enamel stripping acidity. So it's, it's good to go through and pick selectively. So we're going to pick Tempranillo on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, we're going to pick another block of Syrah as well as the rest of the Roussan. So that will be our third pass in Roussan.
0: And huh. if you're doing that, I'm assuming it's all by hand.
3: It's all hand-picked and, and harvested, yeah. How
0: do, like, how do the machines work?
3: So, you there's with, like, different machines do they know that do it.
0: Where to pick it, oh, like... it?
3: they don't. They just shake the hell out of the vine. Oh. So, they literally like drive That's over why it. It's and so on aggressive. the center, it's like, and it's okay. like a really strong vibration shaking. Mm-hmm. And it shakes it side to side and it literally just drops, the drops all I the fruit off sharing, of the, like, the, the little, like, vine. like
0: this little robot thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, little arms going crazy. out. They're and incredible like, machines. How do they know? Yeah.
3: But that, that
0: makes
3: more sense. So, they're pretty incredible machines and they can do some really good things. You know, I've seen some really good um, fruit come off that was mechanically har- harvested, but mm-hmm. it's just not our philosophy. Yeah. Um, we do everything by hand. Um, all the farming is pretty um, minimal intervention, high impact farming, okay. so it's a little bit of an oxymoron. But <laughs> in the fact that we do very minimal intervention and we don't use any chemicals in the vineyards, we farm all organically. We're actually going to be certified um, organic this year. Oh, wow. But um, cool. that also means that you have to put in more hand labor. So, yeah. you know, people with actual hand hose and things like that and mm-hmm. actually getting everything going. Um, so that's high impact in that sense because every vine gets roughly 10 to 12 passes a year from winter pruning through to shoot positioning and, you know, green drops and all that kind of stuff. So, but um, I'll tell you a little bit about the white wine or the rosé that you guys were just mm-hmm. drinking. So that's the 18 rosé. Um it's a blend of eighty percent um Grenache and then there's which one is it? It's uh twenty-one percent um Graziano and then twelve percent Syrah, is that right? Eight yes. percent Syrah. Well, yeah, twelve yeah, percent Graziano, eight percent Syrah. Yeah, that wasn't adding up to a hundred, was it? <laughs> I mean, I like it's it. getting late in a day.
1: <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, I'm so like, yeah, okay,
3: that sounds great. <laughs> so um I think what sets our rosé kind of apart from a lot of other rosés produced around America, um, especially is the fact that it's a purpose-picked rosé. So we pick um, one of our blocks of Grenache. We pick half of it specifically for the rosé program. We crop it a little bit heavier. We treat it a little bit differently throughout the growing season and um, then harvest that fruit specifically to be made into rosé. And I think that's a big difference from a lot of rosés that are produced through Sennier. Mm-hmm. So a Sennier is a bleed. Mm-hmm. If you're picking Grenache to make red wine, you have long missed the window to pick that Grenache and make a great rosé. Okay. So a rosé pick, in my opinion, is more of a champagne pick. You're picking mm-hmm. it with brighter red fruit characteristics, more acidity, more freshness, um, more of those herbaceous characteristics that you really want to see in the end product of a rosé.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, if you're picking it to make red wine, the pH is way higher. There's way less acidity. There's more of those darker berry spectrum uh, characteristics, um, less of that, you know, fresh herbaceousness, and more of that concentration, which isn't really what you want in a rosé. So, 80% of this blend is. Purpose picked rose. Then I do add a little bit of Seigneur from Graziano, which has incredible freshness and acidity, as mm-hmm. well as Syrah to add a little bit of opulence, a little bit more mouthfeel, um, and to kind of balance out that real steely, fresh, um, you know, linear acidity that you get from that purpose picked portion. But I think it really works. I think it's it's a good balance at kind of that ratio, roughly 75 25, 80 20. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have that you know that broadness and that richness from that little bit of Seigne but then you've got that core focus and um, and brightness that you get from the purpose picked portion.
1: So I'm assuming Delicious. this might be a dumb question I'm mm, sorry. No is, such but thing. I'm assuming it's not co-fermented so like at what point no. do you blend?
3: So it's um, so we usually do the blend for the rosé um, in either late December or early January okay. depending on whether or not I get to go on vacation. <laughs> um, and it really depends, um, you know, sometimes the, the ferments will settle out a lot earlier and everything's looking pretty finished and pretty polished so you can start doing some blending trials but um, otherwise we wait until the beginning of January. Okay. Then I usually get in trouble with Mariah who's our uh, one of our marketing and graphic design um, specialists because she always needs a little bit more time to get all the, the <laughs> labels sorted and I'm like. I'm making the blend in January and we're bottling in January. And it's ready. Yeah. So she, she doesn't like that sometimes, but we get along really well. So that it, it always works out. Two um, artists
0: can always be tricky. Yeah.
3: So it's it's... Yeah so the the blend comes together pretty much at the end of the year so from now until the end of the year it spends um, time in either stainless steel or um, large uh, format 500 liter punchins where it's fermented in. Um, I like to use a combination even though the core, um, I like to use stainless steel because it's got a little bit more freshness, a little Mm -hmm. bit more brightness. Um, And then yeah we make the blend and and make the wine early in January, it's um, the only wine that we filter. um, and that's because we don't allow malolactic fermentation to go through because okay. we're trying to retain all that freshness and yeah. acidity. Um, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. So it's it's pretty hands off. We just kind of let it do what it wants to do. And if it starts doing things I don't want it to do, I try to guide it in the right direction. But that's pretty much it.
0: Thanks. It's
3: delicious. Yeah. It's really Thank easy you. drinking. Yeah, My goodness. Sure. So I'll pour you guys um, so the white wine into the same glass. So this is the only white wine we make it's a blend of three grapes southern rhone varietals um mm-hmm. let's see this here it's um 57 percent Rousson, uh 22 percent marson and 21 percent claret blanche um a lot of people kind of say that it's a bit of a Red wine drinkers' white wine. Um, there's a lot of opulence, there's a lot of power, there's a lot of density in the wine, but then it's underlined with this really nice freshness and acidity. Um, Roussan tends to be a variety that's known to be quite viscous, oily in texture on the palate, quite broad on the palate, and it certainly has that here. It has these really nice ripe golden pear characteristics mm-hmm. along with that viscosity, and then the Marsan has these. Pretty tremendous uh, tropical fruit like characteristics, citrus blossom, white flower kind of characters as well. More of that pineapple and guava like ca- um, mm-hmm. character. Um, I always tell people, it's, I, I get a hint of mangosteen, but no one knows what a mangosteen is. I don't know. Unless what that is. <laughs> you grew up in Hawaii, I think. I <laughs> um, It's a beautiful fruit. You should try it if you can get your hands on it. It tastes like juicy fruit. Mm, the gum. Yeah. That's kind of, I swear that that's where. Wrigley's stole the flavor (laughs) I don't know but um so it you know it's a little bit more tropical and fruit characteristics and floral as far as the marsan goes and then the claret blanche has these really incredible um fresh green cut grass gooseberry kind of characteristics in years that it's more ripe, it does have more of those ripe kind of um, stone fruit notes as well, but it has a tremendous amount of freshness and acidity, and that really helps to balance the wine and bring it all together. So I think without that piece, it would be too broad and, and oily in texture on the palate.
0: Like I feel like I want food with this, mm-hmm. which is unusual for me with a white wine. What, what do you want me to eat this with?
3: I love this um, wine with... Um, like vegetable risottos, like mm, uh, you know, wild mushroom really risotto, good. something like that. <laughs> Poultry as now. well, so you know, whether it be duck or turkey, or mm. I always bring quite a bit of this wine for Thanksgiving at mm. my friend's house up in Oregon because it just goes really well with turkey. I'm Already starting to think about um, Thanksgiving and fish you dishes are, as well. I've never so, <laughs> <cook>. <laughs> so it, it's really quite versatile. Um, my wife and I like to pair it with um, Thai food as well. Um, mm, okay. It definitely yeah, can yeah. handle a bit of spice. Yeah. So it's it's a really beautiful wine um, and then with food. some of
1: those tropical flavors and notes as well like if you get like i'm thinking because when i eat thai food i just love spicy fried rice mm-hmm. so i'm thinking like that i mm-hmm. think it'd be good i felt like i was crazy because i was getting like a little bit of like vanilla mixed in there and then there i read the notes and i was like yeah. oh there's vanilla i'm not crazy yeah. now there's <laughs> definitely a
3: touch of um new oak so we use about 30 to 40 percent new oak on this wine and um that's where you would get those toasted yeah you know, slightly smoky and vanilla-like characteristics, almost butterscotch-like notes um, from that, so.
2: Would,
0: do you, like every year, do you, is it the same blend, or does it change? No, it's it's never
3: identical, um, but it, I like to see it Roussan dominant, followed by Marsam and Claret. This year, for example, the Claret was absolutely beautiful, and we got more than um, we had in previous years, Mm -hmm. so I'll have more of an option to play with Claret this Mm -hmm. year, so who knows it might be Roussan Claret and then Marsan but mm. that all depends on how the wine's finish and what it yeah. all tastes like when it's time for me to blend the wine so
0: what if you were like this is so good i need two white wines like do you have that freedom or is um, it just nope we make I, one we and that's just it. make
3: that one white wine so if we have wine left over which for the white program we usually do um, we always just sell it on the bulk market yeah, so we've know. got you know a lot of friends in the in the the industry and in the area that always kind of put up their hands like hey so do you guys have a punching of Roussan this year that you're not using and um, it really depends but you know we're trying to slowly grow the white program Um, it's you know white rones are beautiful but Mm -hmm. they're not an easy sell especially at $77 a bottle I think the wine is well worth it it's a beautiful wine but um, until it we have you know a big enough following for this wine and it's kind of gotten that um, you know it's foot through the door we can't just well, start making 600 cases or more right, so right now we're making about 350 or 400 cases of this yeah. wine um, between three and 400 um, in a good year and um, yeah that's yeah, yeah. hopefully we we'll get it's to make hard
0: one. to like people are you know if you spend like if i go home and i spend 75 dollars on red wine it's like well whatever like yeah that's an expensive bottle of wine for sure for me but like it's expected where I feel like white wine generally people still have like it's a cheaper wine it's yeah they've paid, got this
3: perception that it should yeah. be cheaper no more than
0: $35 go home and you know drink it guzzle soon, it <laughs> oh, that's right chug it um, but I, so I can see that being like a I mean I especially like she has some really good white wines that were very expensive and I think it's great and delicious but I can see like how that would be a hard sell for people yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, I think you know, white or red, it doesn't matter if you're giving it the same same amount of attention in the vineyards and Mm -hmm. in the winery, then it should certainly merit the same price point. Yeah,
2: for sure. And we price all of our
3: wines at the same rate, so all of our white label wines, all the wines that you're trying today, are $77 a bottle, Mm -hmm. white included. The rosé obviously is is 30 or 32 or 33. 33. There you go. I was going to get it right away. Why is that
0: one less? Like
1: significantly less.
3: You know, it's really hard to sell a rosé for that kind of money. Um, y- there's that perception that rosé mm-hmm. is just not that expensive cool of a wine, <laughs> um, so, you know, I think if you price it much higher than that, you just would have a hard time selling yeah. it. Um, I think one of the more expensive rosés in the country is Antiquaterra from Oregon, and that's about $90 a bottle. but.
0: I think the one we got at clos no, that one's only like 40-something. Yeah, no, clos in the slither. mid to high 30s Where or something like that. I like an expensive rosé? I don't remember.
3: So there's quite a bit from France. There's some nice rosés that have a little bit of, you know, cost a bit of money. But, you know, even in their their rosé is more of a just Pinot. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's made in more of a... Italian white style, so they keep it on skins for, you know, six to seven days before Mm -hmm. they actually ferment it, so it's significantly darker than our rosé, for example, Mm -hmm. and most rosés around, and um, in my opinion, significantly better than a lot of Pinots that are (laughs) around all over California and Oregon, so it's a different wine, and it merits its price point because of that. I think it's, it's quite distinctive, but...
0: I was just in France, and I was really upset because I went to... Where did I go for Rosé? I went to a place, um, one of my clients told me to go to for Rosé. And you can get it here, but it's way more expensive there. I think it was like 30 euros or like yeah. 28 euros. And I was like, oh, <laughs> don't mind if Stop I do. Where was it? It was Chateau. Was it Bendel? Yeah, it was in Bendel. Yep. Um, but it was delicious. And it was like, here it's so much more expensive. I was like, man, I just need to go to France every year to buy wine and bring it back.
1: Yeah, I'm sure the plane ticket and hotels. If
0: I can get someone else
1: to pay for that. So circling back on the rosé, so Mm -hmm. do you guys do any skin contact with the rosé?
3: Just the skin contact that it sees in the press. So I like doing a a pretty long press cycle Mm -hmm. with a bit of crumbling. Um, But you have to be careful because the more you do that, the more tannin you extract Mm -hmm. as well. So I like to keep the skin skin contact to a minimum. I like rosés that are very pale, yeah. you know, salmon pink kind of characteristic. Um, when they get too dark, they get candied as well, and mm-hmm. I don't really like that. So I tend to keep the skin contact to a minimum. Yeah. But am. Yeah.
1: What are, like, the qualifications for, like, rosé? Because, you know, you can have all the different colors within, you know, all the very light pink to, like, some are very dark. Mm-hmm. You know, you were talking about the one that you're, like, it's basically, like, you know, Pinot almost, so what are, are there any kind of, like, regulation, or, like, what's the guidelines Uh, on that?
3: There might be in France, I'm not (laughs) sure, but certainly there's not here, as far as I know, if you want to call it a rose, you can call it a rose. Okay, I
0: feel like America is, like, the renegade wine world, because even in Spain, like, France obviously has, like, so many rules, but even in Spain, when we were, um, at like Mm -hmm. he was telling us about some of the rules and I was like man they have like there there's a lot of rules there too and then here like maybe I just don't hear about it as
3: much no there's there's almost no rules I mean there's they're a lot (laughs) looser yeah Yeah.
1: I think when it comes to labeling right there's some regulations yeah
3: there's obviously regulations (laughs) in that but I think you know the fact that we're we don't have as strict of guidelines and rules of what you can grow where you can grow it what you can blend that's brought a lot of winemakers to the area and a lot mm-hmm. of people, yeah. you know, really love that. Stéphane at L'Aventure is a perfect example. Yeah. He was sick of people telling him what to do and sent them home, so eventually he was like, you know what? I'm going to go to America and I'm going to do what I want to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And he I'm makes some he absolutely <laughs> beautiful blends that are not traditional Bordeaux, right. you know, with Syrah and with Graziano and with, yeah. you know, Petit Bordeaux and, and things like that, that he always thought would be a really great match. but somebody's waving their finger in france saying nope Can't not here <laughs> so i think that's what makes it so special and that kind of brings me into the red wines where you know on our property alone we've got nine different red grape varieties um ranging from southern rhone varietals we've got quite a bit of uh, grenache and Syrah, um mauved but then we also have graziano we have a bit of Tempranillo. we have some carignan um, a little bit of cabernet some petit verdot um, and it's just beautiful to have all these different varieties mm-hmm. growing on the same property and they all really work. And, and I think that's what makes it quite distinctive. So,
0: Do you, if, like the three reds that we have are all blends. Do you yeah. do any standalone single? Yeah, blend?
3: so we do have three um, single varietal wines. So those are the wines behind you there. Um, our white labels are the blends. And then our uh, black label wines are single varietal. Oh. So we make a pure Syrah called Intrepid, a pure Grenache called the Nines, and a pure Moved called Prima. Um, And they're meant to be just the best varietal expression, or the best expression of that variety I should say, from that year. We only make about 200 to 250 cases of each of those wines every year, so they're really exclusive. We don't make a lot of them, and we only offer them to our Black Label or 12 bottle allocation members. that's why they're just, they're kind of hard to find. And they're usually it, sold it. out and bought within that? a couple of weeks of release. The Grenache? The Syrah, Syrah right? Uh, Syrah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, you don't have, of all three of them, you don't have the two I want, you know? <laughs>
3: got the Syrah. So yeah, and then um, our blends, the one that you're actually in your first glass is um, a great one to start with. That's Beguiling. Uh, Beguiling uh, is a blend that's yeah. always roughly 85% Grenache and 15% Syrah. Um, those, You know percentages change from year to year just a little bit depending on what mother nature gives us but it's always roughly right around there the 16 for example is 86 14 grenache and syrah Um, And you know the grenache on the property is really beautiful and dark and concentrated it has these really nice cranberry red currant um, darker slightly plum-like characteristics as well and then syrah really lends a different tenant structure and profile a little bit of that bloody gamey character more of those spicy notes and um, it really helps to kind of lift some of the more floral and pretty aromatics Mm -hmm. in in the Grenache in a way, adding something darker like Syrah to that Grenache at that kind of um, percentage somehow makes the Grenache more Grenache (laughs) Um, and then you still see that little hint of Syrah. So.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, then I'll tell you about all the wines. Obviously, you don't have all the wines in the glass in front of you. But um, So then the counterpart to <laughs> beguiling is Aspire. Aspire is a blend that's 85% Syrah and 15% Grenache. Oh, so it's okay. exact inverse. It's like yin and yang. Yeah. Um, so in 2016 was the first year that we made that wine. Um, and it's because we had quite a bit of Syrah. We had a really great year for Syrah and we were struggling to find a home for all this beautiful Syrah that we had in all of our existing blends. You know, Beguiling was starting to get 25, 30% Syrah, and at 20% Syrah, it just didn't look like Beguiling. It looked like something else entirely. So um, I had the idea of, you know, making a white label um, counterpart to Beguiling and we ended up blending out the wine and trying it out and really loved the wine so we decided to kind of pursue that and we have continued to do that since then. Um, The next up is actually a wine that's in your glass, Sagacious, excuse me.
0: Before before you go there I have a question Mm -hmm. about Beguiling. So right now it's delicious, like I could just put me outside with a bottle of it and leave me alone for a bit. how do you expect it to change and in like your perfect world as a winemaker, if I take perfect care of it, how long do you want me to hold on to it before I drink it?
3: So um, that's kind of a difficult question because <laughs> I know how long I think it will age, but I think a great wine should always be great. Um, I think I like it hard. doesn't matter whether you're drinking it in its youth or you're drinking it as you know a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, a great wine should always be great. the days of hanging on to. Bordeaux for 20 years because it's unapproachable for the first 15, they're long gone. Mm -hmm. Even Chateau Montrose and, you know, the big um, houses in Pauillac and on the right bank in Saint-Emilion, they're all making wines that are much more approachable in their youth and that's because they're losing using significantly less um, stem tannin um, and it's more of a a ripe skin tannin as well as seed tannin extraction um, and I think the wines are just more approachable, and they're they're just as capable um, to make, you know, the trek for the long haul, but they are definitely more approachable in their youth as well. Um, I think our wines, Beguiling, is a perfect example. It's a wine that's really beautiful and approachable in its youth. Oh, yeah. All the sixteens in general tend to kind of be that way, um, but it's also a wine that could certainly cellar for four to ten years um, or longer. Um, since two thousand and ten was our very first vintage, um, and it's off of pretty young vines, it's hard for us to say.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, because the oldest wine that we can look at is only nine years old um, this year. I'll
0: come back in five
3: years. There you go. <laughs> but I think the wines are definitely very age worthy and built to be cellared. So they'll definitely cellar really nicely for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, and as you go mm-hmm. down the line of the wines that you're tasting today, that ageability increases with each wine. So. Sagacious, the next wine is a wine that um, I loosely describe as um, the Law Estate blend, the estate estate blend in a way. And uh, the reason for that is because it's almost equal parts Grenache, Syrah, and Moved. Um, 2016 is 36% Grenache, 34% um, Syrah, and then 30% Moved, so true GSM. Um, but you know, those percentages change just a little bit from year to year, but I really like to see it with Grenache at the forefront. Yeah. I'm um,
0: just going to need a minute to absorb that, as me. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: a really fun wine. It's a great this food is, wine. It matches absolutely beautiful like to food. This is
0: like example of why I say GSM is like my favorite. There you go. She was at the last place. She was like, what's your favorite? Well, like, because she goes on thing. and on about Moved
2: so I much. I love Mauved, but I
0: think it's like interesting. But I love GSM, but like this is like if I was like, oh, why do I love GSM? Like taste this, this is why I love GSM. Yeah. It's delicious.
3: So um, the reason that I kind of call it the estate blend in a way is because we have so many different blocks of Syrah and Mauved and Grenache, different clones, different aspects. And this wine always ends up being comprised of the most different blocks from the property. So it's a really good window or representation into what La Estate Vineyards is all about as a property because it's, you know, Syrah from several different blocks, Moved from several different blocks, Grenache from several different blocks, and all three combined, it really creates a wine that's a very great and representation like, of the property as a whole.
0: Do you change the blocks that you pick from every year, or do you always kind of like, um, a the A little same... bit. It
3: depends on what each block gives you kind of every year, but there's certainly a little bit of continuity. Um, I really like, um, you know, Block 25 Syrah for... Um, Sagacious for example because it always gives a really nice herbaceous and you know kind of wild and rustic characteristic Um, 7a is a block of Grenache that always finds its way kind of into there as as A a large portion of the Grenache as well as block one and it's just because of those kind of characteristics that you get so
0: It's so fascinating to me like I just (coughs) I I like to drink wine I don't know that much about it other than like This is delicious I and like it. I uh-huh. want to, like... I think it's amazing that different blocks, different, like, so close mm-hmm. together can be so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's just so fascinating. And it's just
3: different clones, different aspects, slightly yeah. different soil structures. So, yeah. all of those things definitely have a big impact, so... Yeah,
0: it's amazing.
3: Yeah. And then, um, so, the first three wines that I talked to you guys about, and the first two wines that you tried are, mm-hmm. you know, wines that are loosely inspired by the south of France. I mean, they're, you would find... GSM and Grenache and Syrah blends in, in that kind of area of the world, um, but with the next wine that you're trying and the next wine that I'll tell you about, we're kind of taking a departure from France and moving mm-hmm. into a little bit more of a Spanish kind of theme. So uh, Audacious is a wine that you don't have in front of you. That's um, I'll just tell you a little bit about it first. It's a wine that's um, loosely inspired by Priorat in mm-hmm. Spain. So um, you guys oh, mentioned six that six you seven went seven. to Perennat, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I love the wines from Perennat. They're they're really good wines, um, but um, so you know, Priorat is our wines that are, you know, often Grenache dominant. There's quite a bit of Carignan, um, uh, Cabernet, mm-hmm. and then a touch of Syrah or Merlot. And this blend is um, very similar to that in the fact that it's 32% Grenache, 25% Cabernet, 25% um, Carignan, and then 18% Syrah
0: like such and a tease it's cheese. a really pretty yeah it's a good well, one it's pretty pretty like great wine. wine okay if you, you <clears throat> join I know show. that's how get. they get you <laughs> <laughs> it is <laughs> it absolutely is and, and it then, works every time <laughs> yeah
3: and then the next wine that you guys have in your glass um the last wine there is beyond category and that's another wine that's loosely inspired by um Spain um it's a wine that's inspired by Rioja so we love Tempranillo I absolutely love Tempranillo mm-hmm. I love the Tempranillo on our property yeah I can't wait to pick it the day after tomorrow because it's <laughs> tasting beautiful. I went out into the vineyards and tasted it today and decided that, yep, Wednesday's the day. It's it's beautiful. And um, it's at the forefront in the blend at 56%, followed by um, 24% Grenache and then 20% Graziano. Um, Tempranillo and Graziano are like peas and carrots. Um, I think Graziano is to Tempranillo what Merlot is to Cabernet in a very kind of different way. Mm-hmm. Um, Cabernet is often kind of described as being quite hollow on the center palate, quite vacant in the mid-palate weight. Merlot is all mid-palate weight and all mm-hmm. fatness and silky texture. Um, so those two are perfect together. Um, Tempranillo tends to not ha- carry a lot of freshness and acidity. It tends to be quite broad on the palate. It has a really big tannin structure. And the fruits um, more kind of, you know, really ripe plum and you know concentrated kind of characteristics whereas Graziano is super fresh lots of tension lots of acidity lots of brightness and these really nice bright cranberry uh, not cranberry sorry blackberry like notes Mm -hmm. so those two together go you know just as well as Cabernet and and Merlot in my opinion so um, and then highlight it with just a bit of Grenache to kind of like lift a little bit of that floral aromatic and bring a little bit more of that red spectrum of fruit to the palate. <clears throat> but Tempranillo is certainly the, kind of the oh. star of the show.
1: Yeah. I didn't realize that you guys had Tempranillo here. Yeah. Which is awesome.
3: Yeah. No, it's, I really love the Tempranillo, so. And that's what makes it so interesting and fun as a winemaker, because I get to make all these different wines
2: mm-hmm.
3: that are all distinctly Law states So we're not ever setting out to make a wine that's like, you know, Priora, or like mm-hmm. Chateauneuf or like Rioja you know I set out to make wines that are distinctly law of State, but you know we have all these different varieties and when you start blending you realize that maybe after 800 years of practice they know what they're talking about yeah. so I certainly don't want to ignore hundreds of years of practice of using different varieties and it, it certainly helps in trying to like kind of get an idea and, and you know it's just your own passion too I absolutely love wines from Rioja so when I got here and I saw that we have Tempranillo we have <laughs> Graziano we have Grenache it just made sense to me to like kind of start playing with those three wines and um, putting them together in a way yeah. that I thought was a really beautiful expression of those varieties from this property.
1: Do you ever make um a hundred percent carignan
3: we haven't yet um we don't have enough carignan to do so Um, all the carignan that we have finds its way into audacious Mm -hmm. as part of that pre-aura blend
2: yeah
3: but that having been said of all the varieties we have on the property the one that certainly deserves to have a black label that doesn't yet is maybe carrying on. I think it's an absolutely beautiful variety Mm -hmm. in the area. Mm -hmm. I think it's well suited to the climate, it's well suited to the heat, to the harsh environments, the dry, the limestone, it's all, it works. It's one of those varieties that when you pick it, it comes in and it's like, this is perfect. It's, (laughs) you know, it wants to grow here, so.
0: I feel like it's a grape that's picking at momentum Mm -hmm. here too. Like yeah. I feel like all of a sudden it's starting to like pop up here and there, like 100% Carignan and like gaining more popularity and more recognition. Yeah. yeah. I'm into it. I got Carignan from Piranet. Oh, yeah. really? And I got a really Carignan. I got a Parignan. couple of bottles oh,
3: of the pure Carignan from Pirinet as well. It was. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much the wines. Yeah. Um, so... And then, um, Delicious. Yeah, did you guys have any favorites amongst the, the the wines that you tried?
0: My favorite's the Audacious but I haven't tried. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I really like the Sagacious. Like, I, I actually, I'm not sure if I still have it, but I do have a, I bought a bottle of Beguiling the last mm-hmm. time I was here, and I am loving, like, comparing the two together yeah. because I think it's so interesting when you, like, add in Mauvais to, like, Understand the difference that that makes in the nose and the palate.
2: Yeah
0: Sagacious is my favorite for sure. It's very good. It's delicious yeah.
3: I've it been funny and audacious back there. It's been Coravined a couple of times So I gotta have a taste to see if it's all good But I figured I might as well open that.
1: Beautiful uh, And that was actually
3: Coravined yesterday so I should be totally fine
1: Yeah, I was told, so when I bought my Coravin, someone was like, you could just you know tap a bottle and then leave it for like six months and then no. i heard someone else and they were like yeah like two weeks and i was and someone else yeah. was like you a don't week. want to keep
3: them for too long that yeah. is
0: good to know because i did def- i assumed no one told me oh
3: yeah that's perfect but
0: i thought the whole like idea was that i could just taste my wine a little bit at a time you
1: can if you want to open it within the next week <laughs> yeah.
0: um, then, um, because that was my whole plan i, I wanted bottle. to get one of those so that i would know when I wanted to the wine I
1: have. Right.
3: You can't leave it for so years. So there's no. no
0: way for me to know when well, I to
1: Well, you're
3: poking a coming. hole in the it's, fork. Yeah. No matter how small the hole is, yeah. you poke poked a hole in the so fork. So
1: what you need to do is buy three bottles. I know. You open one you at some point. Then you wait a couple years, open the next one. And if you want also, to go a little bit I also longer. I to make more
3: money. <laughs> So this is the 16 Audacious. So that's that blend that um, is loosely inspired by Priorat. It
0: smells amazing.
3: Oh so goodness. 32% yeah. Grenache, um, 25 Cabernet, 25 Carignan, and 18% Syrah. Yeah, it's, um, oh. I don't think I'm supposed to have favorites, but that's uh. kind of my favorite <laughs> at the moment.
1: Did you just find your favorite? Yep.
3: So I'm... that's a, a wine that... Um, That was kind of one of my first big kind of contributions to Law Estate, aside from the, you know, kind of creating, Aspire, because um, the Carignan on the property used to go into the Beyond Category blend, and we just had that one like Spanish kind of um, inspired blend, but I felt like it was hiding underneath the cavern, uh, the the Tempranillo. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just this big heavy cloak of Tempranillo and the Carignan was kind of underneath going like, I'm really pretty, let me (laughs) come out and, you know, show that. Uh, But it just wasn't working. Um, It was still beautiful and it made a beautiful wine and it certainly contributed to the beauty of that wine. But I felt like it would be more the star of the show in Audacious with that, you know, being at equal parts with Cabernet roughly Mm -hmm. and um, just behind Grenache.
0: So. A, it's easy drink. Like I yeah. wanna drink it now and tomorrow and then again in like a year. And the next day. And, and then the next, next day. <laughs> do you do you sell this in a keg?
3: <laughs> because <laughs> no, I'm really sadly trying not. to
0: get a wine tap in my house, and this would be at the top of my
1: list. <laughs> what do you find is the best time of day for tasting? Oh,
0: that's a good question.
1: Oh, Ten
3: o'clock? Yeah. Ten, eleven o'clock?
0: Yeah. See? After my breakfast,
3: breakfast and before wine, lunch. I am mm-hmm.
0: on to something. Yeah.
3: I like you know I like tasting when I'm starting to get hungry, mm-hmm. because all your taste buds are kind of super Activated. alive and focused. Um, but not after a heavy meal mm-hmm. or a big meal usually. But I like tasting, or you know if you wait a couple hours after lunch, that's usually really good too. But then you tend to get tired. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to blending and and things like that, I always like to taste and blend. You know first thing in the morning from like. 8 to 11, 12, and mm. then have lunch and then pick it up again the following day. I don't, I don't like doing too much in one day because I feel like the first blend gets all your attention yeah. and by the time, you know, 2 o'clock rolls around, you can't expect for your palate to be it's as like sharp I'm as It's like I'm inundated. <laughs> exactly.
0: That is absolutely delicious.
3: Yeah, it's the nose good. is certainly quite pretty. I like that.
1: So, so what is your favorite varietal to work with?
3: Oh, That's hard to say. (laughs) Um, Especially because we have so many. Um,
1: And it sounds like with your background, you've worked with a lot too.
3: Yeah, um, definitely. I really like Syrah, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Um, but then I love the Carignan as well. I love the Petit Verdot from the property. I think that's quite special, so... Mm -hmm. they're all so different that it's really hard to kind of pick a favorite (laughs) to to work with Um, but yeah
0: Who names them?
3: So the names came uh, Don and Susie um, Law, the owners and um, the initial team kind of all sat down and tried to think of um, words that really exemplified the varieties and kind of the the personality of the wines in a way where beguiling is very alluring and kind of seductive, and um, sagacious is, is, you know, I don't know if a wine can be wise, but it is certainly kind of has that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, feeling to it. And then audacious is virtually just that it's quite forward and quite powerful and quite, you know, um, bold in a way. So I think the wines really kind of suit their names in a way. Soph is named after Don and Susie's granddaughter, Sophia.
1: So are you guys open every day of the week by appointment? or? Um,
3: I think we're closed on Wednesdays okay. at the moment. Um, but every other day of the week I think we're open and um, yeah, we are just by appointment only so we really try to get, you know, keep it pretty small and intimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That way everybody gets a really great experience hopefully and um, yeah. yeah, leaves very happy. But um, you know, this is going to be the first year in a long time that we've actually not had to close the doors of the tasting room because we've had enough wine to actually keep the tasting room open. Um, we usually sell out of all of our wine um, pretty quickly. So 2016, for example, I mean, we just released the white label wines um, a month ago or so, and I think we're, you know, more than two-thirds sold out of all of the wines already so we tend to you know it's i guess it's a good problem to have to sell out of the wines but it's also not good to have to close your doors (laughs) so we're trying to get to a production (laughs) where we can keep the doors open and Allocate a certain product uh, volume of the production to the tasting room so that you know people can come up and try the wines. Yeah.
0: So are you guys trying to like grow every year and make um, more, or are you like?
3: Ah, so we're, good. we're gonna plateau um, relatively soon. So the vineyards that we've planted are you know when they come into full production. So we've got about 80 acres planted. Of that, 60 acres are in full production, roughly at the moment. Um, So we've got another 20 acres that are coming online. And once everything is in full production, we'll be at roughly 8,500 cases a year, something like that. And I think we'll probably be pretty happy there and stick to that. So So what was your
0: favorite now? Audacious, 100%. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. Mm -hmm. But I do enjoy having tasting the Audacious and the Beyond category like next to each other. Because there's definitely like similarities, I feel. Mm-hmm. But I want, I want to never share this. You don't have to. That glass is just
1: yours. No, but I mean in general, <laughs> if I can never, if I can never
0: share any of it. This is only for me. What, what was your favorite? Um, I think either.
1: I do like the audacious. I like that a lot. Um, I like the sagacious.
3: Yeah, sagacious is showing really pretty right yeah. now. Yeah, so. I need to
0: taste yours because
1: I can. Yeah, I, I noticed that you were like, "This one's my favorite," but you drank all of that one. It is really good.
0: Yeah, it's really <laughs> good. But I still like the audacious better. It's like <laughs> audacious, sagacious. How do you
1: pick the wine glasses that you like to have people taste? Um,
3: about? so we just use all like different glasses from Riedel. And mm-hmm. try out the the wines in mm-hmm. them, and just kind of See pick what the ones that best. that we like best. Yeah. So the glasses make quite a bit of difference. So we like to actually kind of.
1: So the wine club membership mm-hmm. allocation is it currently open, or do you guys? yes Yeah.
3: So we're okay. probably going to have to close it relatively soon, um, as far as you know demand goes. Mm-hmm. But. At the moment, it is still open, and we've got two different club memberships. It's a 12-bottle allocation Mm -hmm. or a a 6-bottle allocation. Um, That's for the fall release. You either buy 12 or 6 bottles, and that's Beguiling, Sagacious, Audacious, and Beyond Category. Um, If you buy 12 bottles in the fall, you have access to the Black Label Wines in the spring.
2: Um,
3: And then you also, you know, for those members that don't buy 12 bottles in the fall, you also have access to... Um, First tracks, um, which is Petit Verdot, Cabernet, and Syrah, as well as Aspire, which is the opposite to Beguiling at 85 Syrah and 15 Grenache, which is also released in the spring along with the Black Label wines. Okay.
0: But the six bottles can't have the Black Label.
3: No. You have to buy 12 bottles in the fall to get to the Black Label wines.
1: So, like, let's say I sign up for six bottles today. Mm But then when the fall comes around, I'm like, you know what? I really want to buy a case. Does that just automatically activate it for me? So
3: when you, yeah, if you decide to, auto, you know, just to buy more wines and it, yeah, it that's does. That's
1: cool. Nice.
3: So, yeah. Awesome. And the cool thing about the allocation and the club membership too is that it's, it's up to you. You can pick whatever wines you want. Yeah, yeah I do nice. like that. So if you taste really the nice. wines and you love Sagacious, for example, mm-hmm. and you want to sign up for a six bottle allocation and you want four Sagacious and two Audacious, that's entirely up to you and you can do that so do yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so yeah. you guys ever limit like you know you can only buy two of this of
3: certain of wines sometimes like um with the black labels you know mm-hmm. to make sure that all of our black label members get access to you know the nines for example we mm-hmm. might limit it in a year where we only make 200 cases where it's yeah. like you know upon release everyone can get 3 mm-hmm. And then um, we'll see how release goes, and then people can kind of create a wish list, and if they want to get some more wines, then we'll have to see, you know, what's available after the initial release kind of thing.
2: Cool.
1: I'm going to take this with me.
3: Yeah, go for it. And you can just (laughs) contact us anytime, and they can get you all set up.
1: Well, I figured out the other day that I only – I used to have, like –
0: I used to have some. I think I had like 12 at
1: one point. I think I had 12 memberships, and I only have two now, so yeah. I've got open room.
2: Yeah, so
3: you've got some room yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'm just like making my
3: choices. Nice. There you go.
1: Awesome. Well, cool. I think I got all my questions answered as yeah, far as like recording I mean, goes. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you, thank so, you so much. much.
2: You're, yeah, you're very go. welcome, of yeah. course.
1: welcome back welcome sorry for the rush said yes. before yeah sorry that we rushed the intro but I think what we were trying to say is that Jamie's never been here and I was here like three or four and years and now ago. I
0: feel like I've missed out for three or four years yeah I'm a little angry with you for coming to this delicious place without me I'm so sorry also bought wine and I didn't share it with you last time I was yeah, here. Yeah, that's really rude. That's ruder.
1: I still have some of the wines, so that potentially I could share it with you.
0: Maybe, like, we, we should just start, like, having, like, a separate wine fridge for shared wine. Shared wine fridge. Um. Okay, so you guys, the Rosé is 33, the white, and all the reds are 77, except for their black label, which is 99. Yeah. I recognize that that is some expensive wine. However, worth every penny. I am surprised they're not charging more. I hope they don't charge more, but I'm surprised they're not because it was every single one was delicious. The white was probably my least favorite. Okay. Um, But I I only think that because I think the reds were so good. Yeah. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, the red was good. I enjoyed it. I probably wouldn't have paid $77 for it. I think it was just not, like, what I'm looking for in a white wine. I I like white wines that are light and easy drinking. And, like, I want to open them at 11 o'clock and drink them, you know? Like, I'm not looking to get that complex Yeah, myself, with the exception of maybe monochrome. But, um, man, those reds blew my mind. Yeah, very, very good.
1: Um focused mostly I would say on Rhone varietals like the the first three that we did were like GSM, Grenache Syrah, Um, and then moving into like some very interesting blends a little bit more like Spanish. That audacious
0: rocked my world. The self-control it took not to buy a bottle I feel is impressive. So impressive you know like we're gonna end up splitting a membership. It, I'd say like
1: 75% yes. <laughs> anyway, you guys should come out here and see the team at Law. Yes. It is appointment only. Yes.
0: So make sure you do that. It's very easy to make an appointment. I think it was a $30 tasting fee. $30 tasting fee. Which it seemed like it was like going to be a quiet one-on-one, very... Infor- I don't know for sure one-on-one, but I'm assuming, like, very informative. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming most appointment-only places never get crazy crowded. No. They're always low-key. You get so much information from it. Like, I think that that's, that's the vibe I got from them.
1: Yeah. The last time I was here, it was appointment only. Um, I think they've always been appointment only. And then there were a couple other people there, but it was still very hands-on and very low-key. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really and great. And what a what a beautiful facility. So so gorgeous. It's like walking into an art museum. It really is. Like yeah. I felt like I was like at MoMA. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's gorgeous in there. So you guys come out, check them out. They have a really great philosophy as far as like winemaking. And, and soon the vineyard to be practices. certified
0: organic. That's mm-hmm. great.
1: Yeah. So go support them. Yeah. We want to keep them. I mean, we. I think every the collective we of this entire area should want to keep them around. Yeah,
0: let's support them.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, support law, but also you should support us because please support us. We've brought on, man. this info to you. We
0: we're bringing this to the masses. We need your help. The, the masses. We're um, bringing this to the masses of our average listeners, which is growing by the day, but still it not is. super high.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> if you want to help us out, go rate and review us on your podcast more than platform. More though. Just, like, listen to us. And listen. Subscribe. Subscribe would be great. Subscribe. Good. Yeah. I was really surprised when, like, I we released a podcast episode on Friday, and then, like, normally I post on social media, and then after that we kind of, like, see more listeners, but I hadn't even posted it, and I just wanted to see how many people had listened, and it was, like our normal core oh, group
0: man
1: so it's like thank those people you guys. must be subscribed thank you
0: so yeah. much thank like you. i just feel like i can't say that like we appreciate you guys listening to us so much mm-hmm. like i'm sure you can't you, you don't know but i hope you can start to know like we we sincerely appreciate it yeah
1: you're soon going
0: to be feeling jamie's glasses yeah Addiction. i need more i just she has got a lot i just got five new pairs but i need more okay All right, on that note, we (laughs) will. They're very cheap glasses, just to throw that out there. They're like $30. Okay. They were not expensive. We'll see you next week.
2: Bye.